I'm a universal. <laughs> oh God. Uh, we'll just you know we'll just restart. How's it going, everyone? And welcome to Ugh, This Again? A look to the past for what happens next. My brand new podcast about the past and the present and how it all ties together. I'm Trey, and before we get started, let's go through, through some introductions. First and foremost, I'm Trey, a university student studying political science who just so happens to be pretty obsessed with history. Um, and I'm also a firm believer if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. And I'll be honest, it's kind of looking like we're going to be repeating it. Uh, but that alone should tell you some things about this podcast. Uh, first and foremost, I am no expert, and I'm not pretending to be one. I'm just someone who loves history and wants to share what he's learned and try to connect to the things going on in the world around this. Uh, but this leaves room for me to make mistakes, and plenty of them. Um, and I think I kind of welcome them, uh, because it shows that I'm still learning, and it gives opportunity for other people to show me something and show me where I'm wrong or where I've missed. And so I welcome that for people to reach out, uh, to point out where I might be wrong, what I've missed, ask questions, give ideas for topics, anything. Because, you know, honestly, I have no idea what I'm doing, but we're just going to roll with it. Um, also, uh, another disclaimer is that this podcast is not going to be intended to be one that's Eurocentric. Uh, this first episode, and plenty others, will rely pretty heavily on European sources, um, but that's because they're easy to access, so they have to do with the topic at hand. We aren't talking just about European history, because... Uh, not just European history is important, all history everywhere is important and it impacts us all anywhere and everywhere. Um, so keep that in mind in the future. I'll try to grab history from wherever we can because all, it all impacts us today. I wanted to make this podcast after seeing a report on the U.S. Millennial Holocaust Knowledge and Awareness Survey, which was a survey conducted across the 50 states on Holocaust knowledge among millennials and Generation Z. Uh, because the results were absolutely depressing. It just made me think, man, we really aren't very historically literate as a generation. And uh, so I kind of wanted to um, stick out and do something about it. Because the fact that near 63% of millennials and Gen Z didn't know that 6 million Jews had died during the Holocaust, and near half of them couldn't name a single concentration camp, even though there were like 44,000 of them, uh, that's just terrible. But that's not even the worst part either. The worst part is that 11% of the people they polled believe that Jews caused the Holocaust. I can't even express how upsetting um, that made me when I first read that and decided that, yeah, we're, we're going to need to talk about this. And uh, that's why I wanted to make uh, this again. I really hope this survey isn't true and actually like reflective of the entirety of millennials and Gen Z, but I can't say I don't doubt it. It It's highly possible and I think very true. It's not out of the question for people my age uh, just don't know that much about history and why it's still important uh, here and now. And so here we are. But enough about the why. This podcast is meant to be a pretty brief one. It won't be telling you a complete story and giving you every single factual detail um, or making it an interesting story as well. I'm trying to connect it in between. Um, there are other amazing podcasts out there about history, like Dan Carlin's Hardcore History or What They Didn't Teach You in History Class for anything like that, but I hope to live up to those standards. Uh, anyways, let's get started with this episode today, and it's about the Holocaust, which is a heavy starting episode, I know, um, but it's the entire reason I wanted to make this podcast, so let's get into it. Before we dive straight into what happened during the Holocaust, and maybe some of the things you didn't know about it, 
What are some of the things you did know? We need to get a bit of backstory. And that backstory, unfortunately, has to do with anti-Semitism, which is something that has existed in Europe and the Middle East since the 3rd century BCE, uh, where we have our first records in Egypt of anti-Jewish dialogue and anti-Jewish edicts in Alexandria, as well as the first riots against Jewish people. In Alexandria, Egypt, which was the home of the largest Jewish diaspora of that time period. Um, and this would continue on. Uh, we have evidence of it during the Roman Empire and its rule in Palestine and Jerusalem, which eventually led to the destruction of the Jewish temple and the um, expelling of Jewish people from their homeland in Palestine. And then as it continues on, we see it could carry on in many different forms in different places, even to this day. Uh, historical author James Chains describes the history of anti-Semitism into three historical categories. Ancient anti-Semitism, which was ethnic in nature. Religious anti-Semitism, which existed throughout the medieval world from Berlin to Baghdad. And followed by the post-Enlightenment racial anti-Semitism, which is most like the anti-Semitism we saw in the Holocaust and the anti-Semitism we see today. And so we're going to flash forward a bit now. The Holocaust, which or known as the Shoah, uh, in Hebrew, the racially based mass extermination and genocide of Europe's Jewish population, where the Nazi controlled the Germany and its collaborators exterminated somewhere around 6 million Jews between 1941 and 1945 through pogroms, mass shootings, work camps, and extermination camps designed to kill Jewish people and other undesirables. However, the persecution against Jewish people goes back a little further during this time period. Adolf Hitler came to power through democratic means in 1933 and became the Chancellor of Germany and quickly seized power for a Nazi authoritarian state soon after. Early on, work camps were established for political enemies of the Nazi regime, starting with Dachau in March 24, 1933. The government soon after started sponsoring the boycott of Jewish businesses and the exclusion from civil society through the Nuremberg Laws in 1935, encouraging Jewish people to leave the country and not to exist in Germany in general. Uh, and it severely limited Jewish civil power and essentially removed all their rights as a citizen of Germany. In 1938, one of the largest pogroms or riots against a race, ethnicity, or religion took place called Kristallnacht or the Night of Broken Glass, where 267 synagogues, which are the Jewish houses of worship, were destroyed along with 7,000 Jewish businesses. 30,000 Jewish people were arrested, and somewhere near 91 Jewish people died during those several nights across Nazi Germany and Nazi-occupied Austria. In 1939, after the invasion of Poland, home of the largest Jewish diaspora of that time, Jews were segregated into ghettos, to keep them from the rest of society. And that finally culminated in the final solution. The final solution in 1941 was the end all measure uh, to eliminate Jewish people and their collaborators entirely from, from existence through mass killing and genocide. 1.3 million Jews died from pogroms and mass shooting where German paramilitary group, the Einsatzgruppen, patrolled across their occupied territories and collaborators' territories for Jewish people and killed them and proceeded to bury them in mass graves. Many more died from starvation, illness, or even exhaustion after being rounded up and put into freight cars and sent to one of the 44,000 concentration and extermination camps throughout Nazi-occupied Europe, totaling to somewhere around 6 million European Jews being killed throughout the Holocaust. 
Uh, I would be remiss not to also state that they were, they were not alone in this persecution. Uh, political and religious opponents to the Nazi party, the handicapped, gay men, ethnic Poles, and Soviet prisoners of war, as well as the Roma people, who are wrongly, wrongly called gypsies. They should not be called gypsies. They're called the Roma or the Romani people. Uh, also suffered through concentration and death camps during the Nazi regime, which totaled to an 11 million people who died at the Nazi hands during their final solution. But the terrible conditions that faced the Jewish and others um, extended from severe to harsh labor and poor conditions, paper-thin clothing, poor to little food and nutrition, disease, and mass extermination. Most well-known through gas chambers and the use of Zyklon B to mass exterminate the inmates, Jewish or otherwise. The images you can really find on these prisoners, especially after being liberated, and the images of those that already died, are haunting. Uh, I highly recommend you. Um, it's you know not a safe thing to see for work, uh, and it's very grotesque. Um, but they're worth seeing to understand just what sort of horrors uh, these people had faced, and like what horrors they survived when you see the um, frail and skinny bodies of those survivors that made it through before being liberated. Um, you can find those with pictures of uh, Auschwitz or Dachau's liberation um, or the read the firsthand experiences of those who experience this terror. There are plenty of uh, writings about uh, what sort of terrors those people had to face uh, during the Nazi regime. The events that occurred over that course of 13 years from Hitler's rise to power until his defeat in 1945 um, would affect the world for decades after, and it's still relevant, and it's important to, to know today. Uh, in the aftermath of World War II and the defeat of Nazi Germany and the liberation of those concentration camps, Europe faced an unprecedented number of displaced refugees and camp survivors moving across Europe trying to find a new place to live because they've lost everything. Um, they had nowhere to turn. They had no money. It, m most of the time, they'd lost their entire family in some cases. They didn't know what to do and where to go. But things are far from over. Things were far from over as they sought out new lives, as the, the victors, the Allied powers, along with the USSR, had to now face a whole new world and build a whole new world in the aftermath of this craziness, this absolute chaos. Dwight D. Eisenhower, in fact, before he was president, was also the supreme commander of the Allied Expeditionary Forces in Europe, so he helped oversee D-Day, uh, the liberation of France and the defeat of Germany. Um, in the aftermath of the war, uh, came to a concentration camp in Gotha, Germany, uh, and is quoted saying the following. But the most interesting, although horrible, sight that I encountered during the trip was a visit to a German internment camp near Gotha. The things I saw beggar description. While I was touring the camp, I encountered three men who had been inmates and by one ruse or another had made their escape. I interviewed them through an interpreter. The visual evidence and the verbal testimony of starvation, cruelty, bestiality were so overpowering as to leave me a bit sick. In one room where they there were piled up 20 or 30 naked men killed by starvation. George Patton would not even enter. He said he would get sick if he did so. I made the visit deliberately in order to be in a position to give first-hand evidence of these things if ever in the future there develops a tendency to charge these allegations merely to propaganda. Even then, there were the fear and the sheer disbelief that this atrocity could have ever happened and be denied, and right they were to be fearful of that. 
And yet in the aftermath of the war, the Nuremberg trials sought to give due punishment to those who orchestrated the Holocaust, and soon after, the foundation of Israel to give a homeland for these displaced Jewish people. However, that faced its own problems with the displacement of the Palestinian Muslims that had been living there for centuries to make way for these Jewish refugees. There was also the long question about how complicit was the everyday citizen of Europe to these max exterminations and this mistreatment of the Jewish people. Were they aware? Did they know? Did they encourage it? How much did they mistreat the Jewish people during the Nazi regime? There's still, even afterwards, after the war, there was still this bitter, bitterness and cruelty towards the Jewish people and towards one another because of the unbelievable horrors the world now knew happened. You know, in fact, anti-Semitism in the USSR uh, reached its heights in the post-war. Jews were sent to labor camps and even worse, in communist-occupied countries like Poland, the USSR encouraged the idea that the Jewish people were complicit with communist rule which led to resistance fighters in Poland and long after Polish people believing that the Jewish people were communists, which led to more pogroms and persistent anti-Semitism of Jewish people in Poland up until the 60s and even longer. But despite all of that, all these terrible things and this anti-Semitism that had persisted even after the war, the world was being rebuilt anew. The United Nations was founded uh, the Cold War did develop, but also led to eventually the U.S. hegemony that exists today. The entire world as we know it today is built off of those horrors. Where are we now, though? The Israeli nation, modern-day Europe and Asia all came to exist following this tragedy, tragedy but 80 years have not shown the lesson um, to have been learned about the mistreatment of people for their racial, ethnic, or religious uh, ties. They persist to this day in many different forms, including anti-Semitism, which is now something that's in the norm in the Middle East. According to the founder of Human Rights Watch, a United Nations organization, Joseph Bernstein uh, is quoted saying that anti-Semitism has become ingrained and institutionalized in Muslim-majority countries in the Middle East and beyond. In 2011, a Pew Research poll found only 2.5% of Middle Eastern Muslims viewed Jews favorably. The Middle East is not alone in this fact, however. In 2012, the U.S. Bureau of Democracy, Human Rights, and Labor noted the increase in anti-Semitism worldwide. In the U.S., while only 18% held anti-Semitic views and had not increased in the past few years, the instances of anti-Semitic acts had been increasing exponentially. Uh, these are trends even uh, that are being seen again in Europe, where the Holocaust began. And the trend of anti-Semitic behaviors are on the rise is one of the most serious concerns of this day, something everyone everywhere should be concerned about. In fact, there is such hatred for the people of their race, their religion, religious beliefs, and ethnicity that are still persistent to this day, it should be uniting the world to stand against such acts as it had 80 years ago. And yet, it's not. These trends of permittance, ignorance, uh, purposefully or otherwise, as well as hatred are growing and is escalated as people know less and less about the events of our past and that how they shaped us today. That poll on the U.S. millennial and Gen Z knowledge of the Holocaust reflects that. The less we know about what has happened already, the less pre prepared we are to face it, and when it comes again, to even fall into the same mistakes of the past. It takes devoted learning and understanding of how the past affects us now, and how we can learn from it to make any real positive changes in the world today. 
Even today, Uyghur Muslims are being sterilized and detained in concentration camps, and even detained Mexican refugees on the southern border of the United States have been sterilized and kept away in deportment camps. It's not the question of comparison of actions or, or genocide or the mistreatment of people to the Holocaust, comparing it to it, but the signs that lead to justifying more extreme measures that lead us to it. It took just 10 years for the Nazi regime to move from simple persecution to the mass extermination of the Jewish people. And it's just the foundation of events. It's important to see things where they are, even when deliberately hidden, to raise awareness against it. Like what is happening to the Uyghurs in China, for example, of how can we say that we are better? How have we can, can we say we have progressed past the people of the 1940s, where this terrible, terrible event happened? Where we're turning the blind eye to the suffering now. This has been uh, this again. I'm Trey. I appreciate you taking the time to listen, and I hope you enjoyed, and you come back again next time. Uh, next time, I'll be talking about the worst year in history, and no, it's not 2020. Anyways, until then, see ya.